0: Greetings friends and fellow daemons and welcome to another Daemonosophy. Today I want to talk about Alistair Crowley, who is a very notorious figure and whether you love him or hate him, for better or for worse, he's all over out there in the occult world, um, all over the internet, everyone has an idea about him. Um, everyone has an impression of him Um, and probably there is no one else you could look to as being the um, godfather or or top influencer of what the modern um, occult magical world has has become Uh, his his influence is just uh, undeniable on things uh, regardless of what you think, so, so today I'm going to share with you three books that I think are very significant in getting a complete picture of Aleister Crowley. I'm not going to dive into any of his uh, mystical, magical stuff, but. Um, three, uh, auto, three books that I think are, that are all autobiographical or semi-autobiographical or, or biographical uh, pieces which, which give you uh, an idea of where he's coming from. And let me explain why where I'm coming from with this. So when I was younger and I was interested in the occult and I wanted to learn more about uh, what magic is. Is magic real and, and these sorts of things? Um, Alistair Crowley is one of the first things I came upon. I'm sure many people can say that. Um, when I went to the library, I'm trying to remember if this is a school library or the city library, and this had been in Lincoln, Nebraska, 1980 one or two or something like that um really the only thing I could find was the collected works of Alistair Crowley which was his poems so that's one of the first things um that I read uh, one of the second things I found was a vision and the voice um so basically all of the initial stuff I read by Crowley I couldn't make any sense out of it Uh, this guy supposedly this really important magician, but I don't know what he's talking about. He's not even talking about anything that I could do or what, you know, anything like that. Now that would change a little bit years later when I discovered magic and theory and practice. Um, And that's another work on its own, um, which maybe I'll cover that that later. Um, But I never really got an impression of where Crowley was coming from. So the three books I'm going to look at are The Confessions of Aleister Crowley, The Book of the Law, with Crowley's um, commentary in it, the one uh, published by him, and the Beast 666 by John Simmons. So, I had read these different magical works of Aleister Crowley, but I really didn't have an idea of where he was coming from. It was all to me a confused and fitful presence. So, things didn't start to really make sense until, for some reason, I decided to read the autobi- Autohagiography, um, The Confessions of Aleister Crowley. And, you know, he, and the reason I find this book significant is because he goes into the, the details of his early childhood, um, how he first became acquainted with a magical group, you know like everyone in in college um, and, and and where he went from there and, and then his various exploits after that. But one thing that was clear in that book and that it puts in context is that the point in his life where he received the word, they're uh, during the Cairo working in Egypt, um, he, at that point, felt that he was essentially the prophet of a new aeon for mankind. So that puts it all in perspective. That 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 that's really the central piece of Aleister Crowley that you have to. That, that I think is like a really significant to understand to put him in any kind of context. And it's also really the most coherent part of Aleister Crowley. Um, that point of having this revelation of feeling that he had been contacted by something from beyond, something above him... Um and that he had been given from that a special kind of knowledge that would not only uh, help him to transform himself, but would help uh, others uh, to transform and to change the the face of humanity f- for the better. Um, and he did think that he thought that it was going to change that it would change things uh, for the better and that word thelema, which is basically a Greek word that means will, um, it's, in, it's in the Bible somewhere. He was familiar with it and, and the King James still has the word thelema in there uh, in some part of the Bible, I can't remember, look it up. Um, but it basically means will and he paraphrased it with the word do what thou wilt. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law um, which is basically a proclamation of free will. That free will, free agency, and free markets would go along with that too, by the way. Um, that that is the basis for existence. And if everyone in the world like embraced that, then, we would, uh, then, then the world would be a better place. Now, th- the thing is, is, if you go and you look at, at history... See, the problem is that some people don't. Some people go in and they find this Crowley thing and and then, and from there they look at that as like this basis of like history and oh, that's what like changed everything or or could have changed everything and they don't look outside the sphere of that. But at the time that he was talking about this, um, the idea of, of free will, free agency, uh, and free markets is something that was being talked about all over the place. It's like the tail end of, like, Enlightenment thinking. And you also had um, the Austrian economists of von Mises um, and, and, and people like that uh, were also talking about these ideas at the same time. So, um, I mean, Crowley would go back and say that, probably go back and say that I, all of that came from him. Uh, because he became very ego, ego maniacal at one point, but it's also very uh, reasonable to say that he heard this—the idea of will—and and obviously he probably he read dilemma in the Bible, because uh, he had a really strict Bible upbringing and read everything. He talks about that in the Confessions. Um, so he certainly had uh, probably seen the word before. He also saw it some way. Uh, there's some. I can't remember. There's other places where people say There's a lot of other people that have studied the Jesus out of Crowley and will know more than me. So I'm just highlighting uh, the, the pieces of it that I think are significant. So that's the first. The first one is confessions. The second one that I want to point out to you is the book of the law the edition by alistair crowley um this is a hardbound edition that was given to me by a very good friend of mine in the 90s um it used to smell like kind of incensey, like uh, oto and like blessed it um i think that this is like the best this is co- okay copyright 1990 ordo templi orientis Um, and this is all printed exactly like, uh, Crowley's original version, uh, published by the magical child. And so the book of the law is the book that he received or claimed that he received is dictated to him through, uh, some automatic writing through his wife at the time while they were in the, uh, while they were in Egypt. Uh, he considered it a communication from a higher entity or maybe a few higher entities uh, the identity of which is something uh, for further future speculation. But the thing that um, I think is really significant about this edition of the Book of the Law is that it contains his uh, foreword and his, uh, his in, it contains his introduction where he explains all of this. Uh, the book was. Dic- he says the book was dictated in Cairo between noon and one p.m. on three successive days, April eighth, 9th, and tenth in the year nineteen o four. The author called himself Awas and claimed to be the minister of Hur Pakrut, that is, a messenger from the forces ruling this earth at present, as will be explained later on. Now, Awas, uh, that turns out to be. Uh, what Crowley considered his holy guardian angel, or we would also call the daemon, or his higher self, his higher uh, awareness. And that was the minister of hur Um and Hur-Parkrat is later um, determined to be Harpocrates uh, or Horus, the Egyptian god Horus, um, which is also um, by Setians considered a face of Set. Um, and and other sources uh, also. There's a duality of Set uh, Set Horus in Egyptian mythology. And then when as he maps out in the next step, democracy daughters, ferocious fascism, cackling communism, equally frauds cavort crazily all over the globe. They're hemming us in. There are abortive births of the child, the new aeon of Horus. Liberty stirs once more in the womb of time. So, he says liberty stir." He specifically uses the word liberty. Isn't that funny? You see so many left-wing OTO people out there cracking on liberty and libertarianism nowadays. Are they aware that this is what the prophet said? His critique of democracy and fascism and communism, the way he says these are all the same thing. These are all forms of statism. That could be Ludwig von Mises speaking. They're hemming us in. He wrote this when in like 19... When did he write this? And then he discusses the Law of Thelema. He says, this book lays down a simple code of conduct. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is the law, love under will. There is no law beyond do what thou wilt. This means that each of us stars is to move on our own true orbit as marked out by the nature of our position, the law of our growth, the impulse of our past experiences all events are equally lawful and every one necessary in the long run for all of us in theory but in practice only one act is lawful for each one of us at any given moment therefore duty consists in determining no experience determining to experience the right event from one moment of consciousness to another so Um, one thing that Crowley lacked. 1938. He wrote that in fucking 1938. And that is, it sounds like it could be about today, right now. This is why Crowley should be a wake-up call to liberate yourself from the shackles and bondage of statism. Why Why are there so many people out there who are into Crowley and fancy themselves diehard Crowley arts? They don't get that. Why is there all these people who who are such Crowley fanatics and Crowley followers who are like, Oh no, you better follow that mask mandate. You better get vaccinated. You know, you better like do what the government says. I just don't get it. Crowley clearly says all of that is bullshit. And the law of the Lima is about waking awakening to your own pure, true individual nature. He continues evolution makes its changes by anti-socialistic ways. The abnormal man who foresees the trend of the times and adapts circumstance intelligently is laughed at persecuted often destroyed by the herd but he and his heirs when the crisis comes are survivors so he's saying stick to your own stick to stick to your own inner truth and don't worry about the names that they call you, for you will win in the end. Above us today hangs a danger never yet unparalleled in history. That's 1938 again. We suppress the individual in more and more ways. We think in terms of the herd. I mean, what would you think today? We suppress the individual in more and more ways. What would he think today about COVID lockdowns? Inconceivable, inconceivable. What would he think about the, the the? what about the taxation? I mean, uh, it's gotta be astronomically higher. I can go back and look up from 1938 to now, but it's just gotta be ant- ant- just ridiculously higher. What would he think of the European Union? He says, "War no longer kills soldiers; it kills all indiscriminately." So, I mean, this could be because he was seeing some of the first. It was really World War World War Two uh, that really started the killing of civilians during the Enlightenment era warfare had like moved towards uh, the you know gentleman's warfare um, and, 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 and and there was like a, a moral ethic about not like killing uh, civilians but from World War one to World War two kill, killing of civilians became a thing. And he's noting that in here, how that's worse and worse. And it's only worse by our, it's, it's even worse today. I mean, I could go back and talk about, um, and I have before in my various communications, about the, the, the civilian death numbers in, 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 uh, in Iraq and, and Afghanistan. Dresden, Hiroshima. There's some really good examples of civilians being destroyed uh, as used as military targets during modern warfare. And and the whole uh, Middle Eastern conflict and during the 20 years of the Bush era, um, it's just, it's just, it's shameful. What would he think now He says, every new measure of the most democratic and autocratic governments is communistic in essence. So it is always restriction. We are all treated as imbecile children. So that's a reference to nowadays we'd say the nanny state as we're all treated as imbecile children. The state wants to basically take care of everything for you. Um... And that they're all communistic in essence. Many have, have noted before that World War II and uh, the the co- the conflict of the three great uh, the superpowers of like of like um, it basically Soviet Soviet English social Russian Soviet English socia- socialism and American FDR socialism all came together to. Defeat another brand of socialism, which is uh, is fascism, uh, fascism and nationalism, under Japan, Italy, and um, and Germany. It's all war of the socialisms. I mean, that's why he says it's all communistic in essence. It's all the same bullshit. He's saying you're not supposed to pick a side in this. There are no good guys in this. You're supposed to just pick yourself. That's what the law of Thelema says. It says, pick yourself and stand with yourself. Fascism is like communism and dishonest into the bargain. The dictators suppress all art, literature, theater, music, news, that which does not meet their requirements. Yet the world only moves by the light of genius. The herd will be destroyed in mass. So, again, what would he think about lockdowns? Uh, just, uh, I mean, it's all of this times 10. And when he says the world only moves by the light of genius, I mean, this is the same thing that Ayn Rand said, that we see that really evolution of, 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 of humanity, of social evolution, only takes place by the action of entrepreneurs. It's never by the decision of some government board or bureaucracy or some army or some politician. They never leads to evolution, but they churn out propaganda, which makes it look like it does. The establishment of the law of Thelema is the only way to preserve individual liberty and to assure the future of the race. In the words of the famous paradox of the Comte de Fini, the absolute rule of the state shall be a function of the absolute liberty of each individual will. All men and women are invited to cooperate with the Master Therian in this, the great work. And he uses that word cooperation, you know, whenever, uh, and I, I pointed this out, I don't know how many times, um, whenever you criticize collectivism, people always like come back, well, no man's not an island, you're not alone, you have to work with other people to do that. Well, no, I know people work together, we call that cooperation voluntary willful cooperation that is different from collectivism which always implies coercion force obligation okay there's a difference it doesn't mean you know the law of philema and individualism doesn't mean oh you shut yourself off from everyone and you never talk to anyone ever again no it's ridiculous you know capitalism as a free market system relies on interaction you know if if you don't go out and invest your money in something then your money um then your money deflates and you lose it you have to go out and participate in the free market you have to contribute value in order to receive payment for for the things that you do so it's so ironic Uh, you know capitalism really really means cooperation and interaction from people but on a voluntary basis somehow this is again and again cast as being the ultimate evil and the ultimate boogeyman but Aleister Crowley in his book of the law sweeps away all of that bullshit and nonsense so when people talk collectivism to you well, out of one, one side of their mouth You know, while they're also like preaching the virtues of Thelema out the other side of the mouth, call bullshit on them. Okay, so after like talking about, after puffing up Crowley on all of that, and, and so again, to go back for like the context of it, so this is what I consider he was at his height, right? Like 19, you know, this is like 1938. I mean, this was at his most um, most lucid and most sincere and most, uh, most on top of it. And all the other things going on in his life, I think, uh, indicate that as well, which I invite you to research on your own. So here's the third one I'm going to talk about. This is The Great Beast 666 by John Simmons. So the tragedy with Aleister Crowley, this is what I was going to say earlier. Is that in all of his talk about individuality and all of his refutation of statism, he didn't fully, uh, he never really fully put his finger on or articulated the importance of economics. The importance of free markets and capitalism, the place of free markets and capitalism in individualism as the extension. That's the actual extension into society and a social system. So whenever he would go from like talking about the individual to talking about the social system, his system would kind of break down and just talk about, you know, get into like magic and, and and stuff like that. So I don't know if it's because he didn't really Um, understand any of that or if because there were other economic thinkers and stuff out there like uh, like von Mises and 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 the Austrian other Austrian economists um, and 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 other economists around that are talking about uh, there's Uh, there's there's like other French and, and, and other, a lot of French ones. I should know their names. Um, I, I regrettably don't. But a lot of other people were talking about economic theories like this at the time. Uh, I mean, free market, laissez-faire. The concept of laissez-faire invented by the French, which means leave us alone. Um, and this is where we get the term laissez-faire capitalism uh, was very much around in his time. So my point is, I don't know if he didn't know about these things or if he's avoiding talking about them because he doesn't want to sound influenced by him because he suffers from that same prophet magus complex where he has to make everything seem like he came up with all of it. Okay. If you study Anton LaVey, it's the same is the same thing. It's like he says all these great things, but when he gets to a certain point, uh, you know, like when he gets to the point of Ayn Rand, oh, he starts arbitrarily changing things to make it look like he's not into this or, or that, like he didn't get his ideas. Like it all just like came to him like magically. And that's too bad because that allows other people who follow him to also make that same cutoff. In their life, and by making that cutoff, by not rationally looking at how these ideas translate into the material universe around you, you leave a space where these ev- evil, external, status, collectivist influences can come in and start answering those questions for you with propaganda. So, again, this was his high point, but then he was like, since he d- didn't go that extra effort. There's a big blank space there, which I think gets filled in with bullshit. And the other problem was that he was a total drug addict. And that's where Simmons' book comes in. So another way in which he failed to enact um, his principles in the economic realm is the fact that he never had any money. He had a fortune which he squandered, and this is very well documented in confessions and other sources um as well as this book um and at the end of his and and the reason is because he was a drug addict so a lot of people try and like excuse his drugism or normalize it or minimize it and say that ah he just did it a little bit for inspiration I think Robert Anton Wilson is really guilty. As much as I love Raw, he's really guilty of this too. Oh, he just did drugs like consciously. He did them magically and it helped inspire him and and, and stuff like that. Well, it also destroyed him. It destroyed him physically and it destroyed him financially. Um, And also, like it does with everyone, being dependent on all of that shit puts you in touch with bad people, bad influences that take advantage of you uh, and eventually destroy you. So um, it's all very... So at the end of his life, he had no money, was living in a poor house. And this guy, John Simmons, just came to visit him with a, another friend. He didn't like Alistair Crowley. He thought he was a loser. And a drug addict, and and a weirdo, and a whack job. No interested in him whatsoever. But he was kind to him for a few minutes in the poorhouse, and Crowley decided, based on that, to will all of his works to him. And as a result of that, uh, Simmons got all of his biography, all of his like notes, and his uh, and and and. And, you know, that's why you see his name on all these other things. Crowley willed all of his shit to this guy. And so then there's all these legal battles with the OTO and stuff like that. And I'm not going to get into that right now. But um, Crowley also took, he was a journaler and he d- wrote in his journal every day. And what he wrote about in his journal every day was about his drug use. Every day, he documented how much drugs he did. He documented how addicted he was, how he's trying to like fucking, you know, like minimize it or stretch it out. I only got so many drugs for today, so I can just do a little bit now, a little bit, a little bit. And it's all heroin. It's all heroin and cocaine, mostly heroin. Um. So no, make no delusions about that. And because of that, because he went that route, at the end of his life, he lacked any kind of power or autonomy over where he was going to live, what he was going to do, or what was going to happen with his writings. Because so he gave them to this guy, and this guy hadn't started writing about it. I mean, that probably would have been it, you know. Um, so and, and so he publishes in this book uh, a lot of Crowley's diaries. Let's see if I can find some of this. Other highlights in the book. Carl Rus was a Marxist. Crowley's attitude and promiscuity churns up chaotic forces. Public interest 40 years after his death, especially in popular circles. Crowley visits Gurdjieff, and Gurdjieff calls him, you filthy man, all dirty inside. You never come here again. Oh yeah. Children had to watch sex orgies at the Abbey of Philema. So... Yeah, today he would be dismissed as a pedophile by one faction and alt-right by another faction. Uh, Crowley calls Hadith, the entity Hadith in the book of Coming Forth by Night, Crowley called Hadith set. Crowley acknowledges that. He says that do what thou wilt most definitely has something to do with anarchism. Thelema is a third way between Bolshevism and industrial capitalism. So my purpose here is not to uh, destroy the the image of Alistair Crowley, but really to point out the uh, kernel of truth in there, the 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 gold inside of the lead, the um the diamond in the rough, as it were. while at the same time, acknowledging the shortcomings. Like they say, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but keep the baby, don't keep the bathwater. Crowley's failure to uh, implement his own law in certain ways was his own undoing. Now, some like to say that um, that there's a magical reason for this because it's the nature of uh, Horace. Maybe there's some truth to that. Or maybe it's just because he was a drug addict. I mean, drug addiction makes people do stupid things. It makes them do bad things. It makes them do sad things. And they it, it, it lose themselves in it all the time, creating justifications and buffers for it. So um, this is why it's so important to... Look within the self and not get pushed along by other people. This is something Anton LaVey said. Never take advice from someone who has less than you. Crowley probably had less than you. And a lot of the people out there um, pushing Alistair Crowley probably have less than you as well. So know when to, you know, take, you know, take take what you will from it and leave the rest there and remember that it's ultimately up to you to disconnect from the deleterious influences that approach you in life. And so with such love and fervor for the true will of Thelema that burns in the soul of man, I bid you all Keep the dark fires burning.